This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. We're going to be reading in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders, the rod of his oppressors you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Good morning, Redemption. Uh, Merry Christmas. I'm sorry if you're dreaming a white Christmas. It looks like it's going to stay a dream. So... I'm right there with you. I'm a white Christmas kind of guy. Um, I'm also uh, going to tell you about a big announcement. You know, if you saw this, there's another Down Abbey movie coming out. So really exciting uh, if you're into this. Uh, Leah, guys, if you don't know what this is, ask your wife. She'll tell you. Uh, I wish I could lie to you and tell you that I'm going to see it uh, because I, because um, my wife loves it so much. Um, I'm going to see it because I love it. A lot. Uh, it's a phenomenal show. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's it's a good. Yeah. Okay. I'm not the only dude out here. We can we can admit this together. Uh, well, I remember watching this for the first time, and something really startled me uh, when I was watching it. it. Was the how much this family loved the monarchy, their king and their queen, and that was really uh, like fascinating to me. I mean, to the point where like. Uh, Lord Grantham called himself a monarchist, like, and he's debating with his son-in-law, who's a socialist, about, like, monarchy is the best form of governance of a people. And I, I don't get this, but this is something that is very popular in British culture. I mean, look at The Crown on Netflix, right? It's one of the most popular shows going on out there, and it's all about The Crown. Did you know that royal weddings outside of sporting events are the most watched televised programs in the world billions of people watch these weddings we are fascinated by royalty in fact uh the british they have found the british people if they try to like peel back the curtain uh for the um for the royalty the royal family they like oh let's see what their lives really like the people don't like it they don't want to know what goes on behind the curtain they want this mystery this this dignity, this kind of otherworldliness of kings and queens. 
And we all like it. I mean, that's why Disney princess movies are so popular. And, and dudes, that's why you love Robin Hood and King Arthur. That's why we love Chronicles of Narnia. We love kings and queens. And there's something just about that world that fascinates us. Um, and, and the Bible talks about Jesus is our king, right? Jesus is our king. But here's, here's the issue. Everything okay back here? What a morning. If you have something to spill, can you just spill it now? Just get out of the way with um, the Bible talks about Jesus is king, but here's the problem because we are all Americans. And if you remember, our country was founded on a rejection of Kings. Like we don't, that's the air we breathe. You don't realize it, but we just don't get the idea of King, but that's a problem because the Bible tells us that Jesus is King. So before we go any further, cause that's our message for today. Jesus is King. We need to understand what is a king. We need to wrap our American heads around this concept because it's vital. So I'm going to give you a definition, a working definition that you can use for the king. You can write this down. Here's, here's a king for you. The king is simply the ultimate authority with all power over people and a place. Three P's, power, people, place. If you're missing any one of those P's, you don't have a king. You need them all. And so what happened in the United States of America is, is we took that power piece and we blew it up. So I want you to imagine this. Take, imagine all the laws, the authority to make laws that exist in Congress. They make the laws. Sorry, we're getting back to government class in high school, but it's okay. It's good for you. Imagine all the ability to judge laws that you see in the courts. They say, yeah, you can do this. No, you can't. This law is okay with the Constitution. This one's not. Imagine all the power and authority to enforce those laws, to execute the laws that are made. Imagine all of that existing in one person. I just saw y'all shudder a little bit. You're good Americans. But that, that's what a king is. That's what a king does. It's all that power in one. And it's true of all kings in history, and it's even true of kings in scripture. When I say that, I know you're thinking to yourself, see, that's why we have the best form of government. We don't have to deal with all this power in one person. And we all feel that way. And like, yes, distribute. We don't like the power in one person until things get really dark. Until things seem a little uneasy until things seem a little chaotic. Then all of a sudden it seems like our hearts are like, is there someone who's going to fix this? Somebody's got to fix the problem. And maybe it's even in your own heart when things are dark in your own life and you're looking at someone going to fix it. I'll tell you this morning that it's not just our longing, but every human heart throughout history has looked in times of darkness, who is going to fix this? It happened with Israel in the time that Isaiah was writing his book. See, Isaiah wrote during about 700 years before Christ showed up, and he was writing in a time when Israel was in steep decline from the glory days of their King David and King Solomon, and it was going downhill fast, and the kingdom was divided and Isaiah is looking at the situation and God gives him a message and he tells them, you are a wicked people and your wickedness is going to bring darkness. 
You will be exiled. You will be sent away. Your kingdom will be decimated. You will not have light, but you will have darkness. And in the midst of this, he also gives prophecy and promises from God that somebody, something's going to happen to break through that darkness. The darkness is not all there is. He writes to provide comfort. In fact, comfort is the main word that Isaiah uses over and over throughout his book. He wants them to know, yes, darkness is coming. I see the clouds coming. It's going to happen, but it's not the end. I ask you this morning, does it feel dark to you today? Has the wickedness in the human heart spilled over onto your TV screens and your smartphones? Does it feel like things are getting darker and darker? Even in your own life, do you wake up in the morning or go to bed at night and frustrated at the darkness that you see in your own heart and your own life? And is it ever going to fade? Well, this morning, I want to tell you, simply take comfort because Jesus is king. And that's the big idea for today. Take comfort. Jesus is king. Because I believe that's what Isaiah wants us to walk away with. That's what I believe God wants us to walk away with. That Jesus is our king and we can have comfort. So this morning I want to look at four truths about our king Jesus that you can take comfort in from Isaiah 9. From Isaiah 9. So hopefully you're in your Bibles there still from when my beautiful wife read it for you just a moment ago. We're going to start in verse 6. So we're going to look at the first promise, uh, the first truth which is the promise of the king. The first truth, which is the promise of the king. This comes from verse 6, the beginning of it, where Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. So Isaiah is promised that there's going to be darkness. I just talked about this, that bad things are coming. But Isaiah takes a turn in the beginning of verse uh, chapter 9 and verse 1. That's why I had Catherine read it for you, so you can see that Hope is coming. And I love this phrase. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Light is coming. And you read through one through five and like, man, that sounds really good. Like all the enemies are going to be defeated. Their weapons are actually going to be made into tools so we can farm again. Just a great life. And the question, though, when you look at that is, okay, this is awesome. But how is this going to happen? Like, it's really dark. How do, how do you mean things are going to turn around and light's going to come? And Isaiah tells us. He first tells us the promise. The promise. And this promise is, is a someone. Right? He writes this in verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. It's, it's not a... A warrior, you'd imagine a warrior would come in and defeat enemies and crush their heads, but he says a child and it's, it's given. This someone is a gift. It's not something that they've earned. In fact, there's no way they could earn it because they were so wicked, but it was an undeserved gift that someone was coming. And who was this someone? Well, it was the king. You may say, Drew, where where do you get the idea of king? Well, right here it says, the government will be upon his shoulders. 
Now, the word government, um, if you're looking in the ESV, in your uh, chair Bibles, it's going to say government. But that word can also be translated as dominion. And the idea of dominion is it, it's bigger than just the entity that, like, makes you pay your taxes and passes laws. It's, it's the whole reign, the whole authority. It's a king. In fact, later in verse 7, it says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So this is a, a coming king. And I love this phrase that says, the government shall be upon his shoulder. The idea there is not, not this king isn't wearing government like it's weighing him down. He's not carrying it like a weight on his shoulders. The phrase, the idea is it's draped on him like a robe. It's draped on him like a robe. This this dominion, this power is wrapped around him and it's made beautiful because this king is wearing it. It's something to be admired. This is hard for us. We may be the most suspicious of any generation in the history of the world, most suspicious of power. I literally heard a Christian on a podcast talk about how the problem is power. Like power is a problem. If power is a problem, then you have God as a problem because God has all the power in the world. Power is not the problem. Sin is the problem. And when power is wrapped around a good God, like a robe, it is something beautiful to look at. It is something to admire. Look at the majesty of that power from a good God. And that's the robe that this coming king is going to wear. So a king is promised who will come as a child and wear all rule and authority like a robe. You guys know this, you're... Christians here, and this is no surprise, but I want to show this to you. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 1, because Jesus comes, and he is this king. And Matthew, if you didn't know this, the book of Matthew is primarily written to show that Jesus is that promised king. So go to Matthew 1. We're going to read just a little bit here. Um, We're going to read through the begats, the lineages. How many of you skip over these in your Bible? It's okay. It's a safe place. I won't judge you. I do it a lot too. You're like, and Beat and Begat, you can't pronounce the names. Uh, but they're really important. And this one is particularly important. Look at how it starts. Verse one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Pause right there. Uh, do you know the Christ is also um, another translation of the word Messiah? Do you know what Messiah means in English? Anointed one. Do you know who gets anointed in the Bible? kings jesus christ the son of david the son of abraham jump down to verse five we're halfway through the lineage here and it says and obed the father of jesse and jesse the father of david the king and then jump down to verse 16 and jacob the father of joseph the husband of mary of whom jesus was born who is called christ See, Matthew and the whole New Testament argues that this promised king from Isaiah is Jesus. Here's the reality. We we all need and want some hope that things are going to get better, that the darkness won't last, that things are going to get fixed. We ask, is someone going to fix this mess? Is someone going to hold lawbreakers and and wicked people accountable? Is someone going to make the world right again? We're looking for it all the time. And as 
quickly as you're asking those questions, I'm telling you this morning, people are willing to answer it. They're telling you they can do it. Don't believe me? Just wait two years. And then four years after that. And then four years after that. Because every single political campaign in the history of this country is somebody promising, I can fix all the problems. I mean, look at these campaign posters. They're built on a promise that they will fix it. For crying out loud, they made Jimmy Carter the Jesus of America. Look at him. And I don't like talking about politics. I don't mean to talk about politics here, but it is so illustrative of the human's heart desire to say, someone's got to fix this. Things are broken, and we latch on to that. And we put our hope in somebody. We long for someone to fix things. And I'm not here to tell you who to vote for, what, how your involvement in politics should be, but I am here to tell you your heart is looking for someone to fix things. You may say, oh, I'm true, I'm not into politics. Awesome. But there's something in your life that needs to be fixed, and you're looking for someone to fix it. Maybe it's, maybe it's a spouse. If I just fix my spouse, then things will get better. If, if I even get a spouse, I'm single, and I would like a spouse, and that's going to make things all better. Or maybe you're looking to your child, or your parent, or your biblical counselor. Or your pastor. They'll fix all the things. But listen, there is no human on earth who can change a heart. And that's what needs fixed. Only King Jesus can change the heart. And all our hopes in anybody else, top to bottom, can't fix it. But our King. So I have to ask you this morning. What is your hope placed in? What is your hope placed in? I mean, like, how do I identify this? You may wonder, like, there's a lot of things. Well, let me ask you this. What, what do you want or not want to happen on any given day? That's what your hope is in. Or, or, or what do you think about the most? You know, what, what takes up a majority of the headspace that you have? You only, allow, you only have so much space up there to think about things. What's taking up a majority of it? That is often a sign of what you're placing your hope in. Who are you looking for to bring light to the darkness? Who are you looking to? Whose performance or control is making your life work or not work? If only this person did this, then life would work better. If only this person did this, then my life would not be so terrible. Whose victory or success are you hoping will make your life happy? Chuck Colson said this. If you don't know Chuck Colson, I encourage you to look up his testimony. Amazing testimony. He's a public speaker. He used to be a politician. He's a Christian evangelist. And he, he said this. He said, I meet millions who tell me that they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where is the hope? The hope that each of us have is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. And that's where our hope is in this country. That's where our hope is in life. Take comfort, church. Our king has come.
He's come. So the first truth you can hold on to is the promise of the king. The second truth is this. The profile of the king. The profile of the king. I get this from verse 6. The second part, we'll keep going. Isaiah writes this, and it says, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So we're promised a king. This king that's coming is going to be a child. But here's the reality. These Israelites have had lots of kings, and almost all of them were train wrecks. You could count on one hand the number of kings like, that's the king that we want. Kind of. So how do we know that this king that you're promising is not going to be like all those other ones who were terrible? And Isaiah says, well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you his name. If, little Bible study tip. When you see names in the Bible, those names have meanings for a reason. They're, they're given for a reason. They, they're loaded with meaning. That's why he has four. He's not telling you like, okay, they're just going to walk around and call him a wonderful counselor. He's right on his name tag saying this is his identity. This is his character. So let's look at the king's character. The first is this, a a wonderful counselor. What he means by this is he alone is completely wise and does not need advisors. He alone is completely wise and does not need advisors. He's completely competent to make the right decision. Like he's the answer to the question, does anybody know what's going on? This king does. He's a wonderful counselor. It also says that he's a mighty God, meaning he has complete power to execute the wise choices he makes with all authority to do so. Let me say that again. He has complete power to execute the wise choices he makes with all authority to do so. Why? Because he's God. He is God of very God. And also says that he's an everlasting father. He has the heart of a father for his children. And that, that heart will never end. It goes on and on. He can never stop loving you as a father loves his children. And he's the Prince of Peace. That one who will bring all things back into wholeness. Peace there is the word shalom. It means the world as it should be. And he's the one who's going to make it all work right again. Now that is the king anyone would want. Does your heart rejoice with that? Here at Redemption, we talk often about if you if you look at all the idols that our hearts chase after, if you boil them all down and we're real honest and chase them down to like, what's really driving me to pursue that thing I shouldn't be do, pursuing, you're going to come up with one of four things. You're going to find that you either want security, you want control, you want pleasure, or you want comfort. And I'm telling you, this king... The profile of this king tells me that he can answer every one of those. Check this out. Security. Say you want to feel safe. You want to know someone knows what to do. That someone's got it all figured out and there's no mysteries. They know what to do, when to do it, how to do it. I'm telling you, your wonderful counselor's got that. He's got it all. You can feel safe with him. Maybe you want control. Because things need to go just as they are. A follows B, follows C. Nobody should go rogue. Everything needs to work in this way. And and you need to have that sense of control. Well, your mighty God for sure has things in control. He has all the power to make things work. 
But maybe your heart is looking for pleasure. You just crave those good feelings, the, the approval of people, the, the good times, just that emotional high. I just love to feel good. I'm telling you, there is nothing more pleasurable than the pleasure of knowing your Father's heart for you. When you know your God loves you and rejoices in you because he's your Father, you don't need to pursue pleasure elsewhere. It's all in his love. Or maybe you just want comfort. You want everything to be just as it should be. That, that final sigh of relief when you get home at night, the kids are in bed, you got your big warm cup of hot chocolate, and it's delicious, and you're just like, ah, the world as it should be. Your Prince of Peace, he's got it, and he's better than that. See, no spouse, child, boss, pastor, elder, president, boyfriend, magistrate can be those things for you. But this king, King Jesus can. So take comfort, church. Our king's heart is good and he is in control. So hold on to the truth of the profile of the king. The third truth I want us to look at is this. The, the proliferation of the king. The proliferation of the king. What I mean by proliferation is the idea of how far this king can reach, how far his authority goes. Where does it stop? I get this from verse 7 where it says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. This, this growth of the government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom. We all want to know, like, hey, we're Israel. We, we've got a king here, but there's bad guys out there. There's some really bad dudes. You just told us they're going to come and take us away. So this king, does he have authority and control over just us? Or has he got stuff out there? It's the extent of his reign. And we all want to know, does, what, what does God have authority over? How far does that reach? It's kind of like when we were kids, right? Do you, do you remember doing this as a kid? And your own kids probably do this, like really testing how far does mom and dad's authority actually go? You experienced that. I remember this when I was a kid. I was five years old. Um, it was kindergarten, first couple weeks of school, and uh, just riding the bus. And uh, you get quite an education on a bus. Um, probably not the education my parents uh, signed up for, but you learn some things. And uh, one of the things that I learned those first few weeks was a new word. Don't ask. I'm not going to tell you. Uh, but I learned this word, and it sounded really funny. So me and my friend, uh, we said this word over and over and over and over because it just, it was hilarious. Uh, it still sounds funny, not going to lie. Uh, but I, uh, so I go to school and didn't think anything of it. Um, but, you know, when you're in a small town, um, this may or may not surprise you, there's a, there's a likely chance when you live in a small town that your bus driver, when they drop you off from school, they're going to go to the diner to have breakfast, there's also a likely chance that when they go to the diner to have breakfast that your dad will also be at that same diner eating breakfast. And there is a really, really, really good chance that when your dad's at the diner with the bus driver, the bus driver is going to tell your dad some new words that you learned. Um, so after school, I got another education that day. Uh, but I learned that, you know what, my dad's authority reaches to that school bus. <laughs> On the other side of town, where I didn't think that he would know, but he knew. 
And that it is, that's the way it is with our God. He, he, his authority reaches way further than you even realize. Look at the text. Of the increase in government of peace, there, there will be no end. That is the extent of his reign. The extent of his reign. There is no place or people who will not fall under the governance, dominion, and control of this king. It goes on forever. Nothing gets missed by him. There's not some secret little alcove of rebels hiding in a cave that he doesn't know about. It's all under his control. If you keep reading, it says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom. It might seem to you like an odd place to connect this to David. But what Isaiah is doing here is he's trying to give you the the security of his reign. I say security because this reign of this king is rooted in the promise made to David in 2 Samuel 7. That that a son of David, David's throne, would last forever. God isn't doing something separate. He's not doing something extra. What's going on here is like this continuation, this reign of the king was promised to David, and I am still fulfilling that promise. You can be secure and sure that this dominion of the king really will go on. Be firm in my promise. Paul picks this up, the same idea up, in Colossians 1, verse 15, where he says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Here it is. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and all things and in him all things hold together. There is nothing that is not under his control. There are times in darkness where we wonder if things are under God's control. Maybe in the world around you, you look at things like pandemics. Laws that are being passed that you may or may not agree with. Poverty, tornadoes that rip through towns and neighborhoods. Human trafficking, terrorism. Is God in control of these things? And this text says, yes. But what about things in your own life? Broken relationships, sickness, a job situation, unclear steps of your future. Is there a king who's in control of those things, who who reigns over those? I'm telling you from the top to bottom, nothing is outside of his control. From the highest court in the land to the court of public opinion to the court that happens at your dinner table every night to the court in your own conscience that you battle with every day. King Jesus is over all of those things. So run to him. When things don't seem like they're in control, run to him. Run to him in prayer. Tell him. Run to his word for wisdom and and assurance to see his heart. Run to your church, the people of God that he has given you to, to help you see truth, to help you know that he loves you, to help you feel his hands give you a hug as we are the body of Christ. My favorite quotes of all time is by an old Dutch theologian and prime minister named Abraham Kuyper. 
He says this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It's all his. So take comfort, church. Nothing is outside our king's control. Cling to the truth of the proliferation of the king. Last thing I want us to consider is the propitiation of the king. The propitiation of the king. Let's look at the second half of verse 7. Isaiah writes, To establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So Isaiah is answering this question, okay, all this stuff is going to happen. A king's coming. He's going he's gonna to do some great things, but how is he going to do it? How is he going to make this work? How is it going to get established? Because it seems so dark. It seems like there's no light. There's no way for it to work. And, and it says he's going to establish it with justice and with righteousness. But I don't know if you know this, but there is some tension here. Why is there tension? Because think about this. All this amazing stuff is about to happen. There will be justice in the land. Wickedness will be vanquished. All the wicked, evil people will be punished. There will be, remember we talked about this, the enemies, will their weapons will be turned into plows. We will live in peace, shalom. The world will be as it should be. And your heart should be welling up with joy and excitement. The enemies will be gone. Justice, equality, equity, fairness. It'll all be there. And everybody says, amen, right? You excited? I'm excited for that. You should be. Because that's a great promise. But then we look in the mirror. And if we take an honest assessment of ourselves, we have to say, I'm wicked. I'm evil. In fact, we are more wicked and more evil than we're ever willing to admit to ourselves. And if God is just, which he says he's going to do, he's going to establish it with justice, then I deserve punishment. I should be vanquished. I'm a rebel. And so are you. The king is just, therefore sin must be punished. If he didn't, he would be unjust. Let's make things a little naughtier. Remember how we just talked about God made a promise to David this king would reign forever. His his kingdom would have no end. He's he's made that promise. Well, if you punish all the wicked people, there's no wicked people left. And what's one of the three Ps that every king and kingdom needs to have? People. So if there's no people, then how is there a kingdom? But God said there would be. So if God doesn't fulfill his promise, then then does that mean that God is unrighteous? May it never be. He is righteous. So how does this work? It's a perceived problem. It's not a real problem because God doesn't have problems. You know the answer, don't you? It's the gospel. It's the gospel provision. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. This is how amazing and great our king is. Verse 23, very common verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's us. 
Every one of us is guilty. Every one of us deserves punishment from a just king and would not be unjust for him to punish, punish us. It is the just thing to do. But then go on to verse 24 and it says, and are justified. You know what justified means? It means to be declared righteous. We are declared righteous by his grace as a gift. There's that word again. Through the redemption that is in Christ, the anointed King Jesus, whom God put forward as, here it is, a propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, the idea of propitiation there, it's translated into, is the uh, translation is satisfaction. So what he's saying is the blood of Jesus satisfied the debt that you owed for your sin. He took your punishment. That's the debt that needed to be paid. The wrath of God poured out on you. Jesus took it all. His blood paid the price. And because of that, you are free. And God is just because he punished sin and he keeps his promise. Because you, if you put your faith in that, are now part of his kingdom. And your king came and did that for you. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Our king came. And this is also why the king and his kingdom will be from this time forth and forevermore. Did you see that? Because the king rose from the dead. It can't be defeated. It goes on and on and on. In fact, in Colossians, back in Colossians 1, Paul writes this. He has... He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This sounds too good to be true. It's not. It's the truest thing in the world. It's the most real thing. Our king has come. It's the breath and the depth of the gospel, the propitiation of our king. So I ask you this morning, do you live life like Jesus is king and has established his kingdom through the gospel. Do you live that way? Is that a reality for you? Do you want this king to be part of his kingdom? I'll tell you, most people don't. Most people want a king. They want a kingdom, but not this king. Because to be part of this king, you have to admit that you are a sinner, that you are a rebel. And you have to die to yourself. You have to die to your own sin, your own weaknesses, your own efforts, and say, I'm trusting in that king and him alone. He is the just and righteous one who died in your place and rose again. And his love for you did this. And if you confess your sin, place your faith in this this truth, the hope is yours. This king is your king. His kingdom is your kingdom. So church, when it seems like the kingdom of this world and darkness is advancing, it looks like it gets dark sometimes, doesn't it? Do you take comfort knowing your sins are forgiven and your king is on the throne? Do you take comfort in that? Can you say with the psalmist, and I love this, in Psalm 2, I want to read this for you. It's a little long, but it's just awesome. 
can you say, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And listen, if your faith is in the propitiation of Christ and the blood of your king who is shed for you, you will be saved from that wrath and take joy in his kingdom. So take comfort, church. Our king has come to save us from our sins. Our king has come. So is it worth it? Is it worth swearing allegiance to this king? Is it worth pursuing this kingdom? Jesus said it was. Do you remember the story? He said it's like a, like a pearl, like a man finds this beautiful pearl. And it's expensive pearl, but it is the most gorgeous pearl he's ever seen. So he sells everything that he owns just so he can have enough money. I mean, every penny he has so he can buy that beautiful pearl. And Jesus says, that's how worth this kingdom is. Are you willing to do it all, to give it all for this kingdom? And I know it's not here yet. It started. It started in your heart. As you submit to the king. The kingdom is coming. It will be here. The king is returning. And it seems far away. But I'm telling you right now, it is closer now than it's ever been before. The darkness will not win. It can't. And remember, it's always darkest before the dawn. But if you'll wait, and that's what the word Advent means, by the way, waiting. If you will wait, your king will come again. How do I know? He promised us. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He's coming back, church. Take comfort. God, we are so grateful that Jesus is our king. In our wicked, rebellious hearts, we turned from him, but he loved us so much he came anyway and died on the cross so we could be part of his kingdom forever and ever. And we long for that day. Until then, help us take comfort. Take comfort in your promises. Take comfort in who you are. Help us to wait patiently, expectantly, and with hope. And we pray, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. And it's the name of your, and it's your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.